On this journey to illuminate matters of black infant mortality and maternal health, we have uncovered some really startling pieces of information. Every guest that we've had on the show has brought knowledge and insight and passion to our podcast series. Now, on previous episodes, we have briefly touched on mental health, but we haven't dedicated an entire show like we're doing today. Now, since I've been black for my entire life, I've been around a lot of black folk. One observation that did not become real to me until we started the Gap podcast series is that black folks are typically reticent to speak about mental health issues. It's sometimes seen as some character defect or something you've just got to figure it out yourself. Or for those who attend church, mental health issues are often presented as, well, you just need to have more faith. Here's the deal. If you broke your leg playing basketball, nobody would say, you've got to get through this broken leg thing yourself. There would be no stigma attached to seeking help for a broken leg. We should give the same consideration to mental illness. It should evoke the same kind of clear-eyed action. Admitting that you need help or even wanting help is not a sign of weakness. So we're in for a real treat today. Kiva Harper is with us for the entire hour. So let's get into the show. We all want happy, healthy families, and that quest for good health begins at birth. Sadly, many of our nation's infants have a much more difficult journey reaching their first birthday than other infants. African-American babies, for instance, are as much as two and a half times less likely to reach their first birthday than Caucasian babies. This disturbing disparity has given rise to a national forum, a forum wherein healthcare professionals, birth workers, policymakers, and family planning experts share information and ideas to combat the scourge of black infant mortality and maternal morbidity. Welcome to the GAP podcast series. Well, we are back with another edition of the GAP podcast series. And this is going to be a unique treat for me because it's Minority Health Month, Minority Health Awareness Month, and it's important for me and for and thinking about the listeners of our show to just begin to, to illuminate issues around minorities and mental health. And we are in for a treat today. We're going to spend the entire hour with my friend Kiva Harper, who is a licensed clinical social worker in Arlington, Texas. And her specialty is is in treating and in dealing with folks that uh, that have had trauma and traumatic grief. So Kiva, welcome to the Gap Podcast Series. Girl, what is up? What is going on with you? Thank you, Lindell. I'm so excited to be here. Man, I am like so glad that I, I cornered you and uh, and threatened you and got you on the show. So I'm like really, <laughs> I'm like really like totally, 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 totally happy. And um, and man, I'm just I'm I'm, I'm excited. So I want to just kind of kick things off today, and and I want to just I want to just start with kind of a macro question. Give us give our listeners a flavor for 
kind of what you do as a as a licensed clinical social worker? What is what is that discipline? What's it, what's it about, and what do you do? Okay, thank you. That's a, a really great question. You know, so many people when they hear social work, they immediately think those are the people that take come and take your kids away, and, and that's really a misconception. The field of social work is incredibly broad. Um, you see social workers in so many settings in hospitals. Um, sometimes we are in child welfare, we're in police departments, we're all over. Uh, in the state of Texas, social workers um, can be educated at the bachelor's level or at the master's level, and of course, at, at the PhD level. Uh, I am educated at the master's level, and I have an additional two years of supervision um, that I've done post, um, post-master's, and that allows me to test for um status as a licensed clinical social worker, which is our only advanced social work license in Texas. And it allows me to assess, diagnose, and treat, basically to be a psychotherapist in the state of Texas. And so you you see therapists all the time and everyone's trained differently. Everyone has different set of letters behind their names. But in social work, one of the things that makes our discipline so different and so unique is that not only do we focus on treating the person as it relates to mental health and direct practice um, with people, we also look at social justice. And that's what makes us very different from some of the other professions. That's actually in what in our core values. Uh, it's a part of our code of ethics. And that's what we do. And so basically at what I do is I I have a private practice in which I see clients and provide individual, um, couples, um, group psychotherapy for survivors of trauma or traumatic grief. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, that's, that's really needed because in, in our journey of seeking to illuminate issues of, of black infant mortality and issues regarding uh, black maternal health. One, one of the things, one of the factors that, that we've identified, Kiva, is, is uh, many times black folk do not take their mental health, do not take the discipline of mental health seriously enough. And, and I want to kind of get into that with the next uh, question really that, that, that I have for you. And, and just when you, when you think about, when you consider like kind of the, the state, if you will, of black America, and I know that's kind of a, of a broad terminology, but what, what do you see as kind of the, the overarching state of, of the mental health of black folk in this country? What are you seeing? What, 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 do you, what are you hearing, Kiva? I really think that we are all experiencing trauma right now. I think we've always been living with trauma, but with with right now COVID and with the civil rights movement that's going on and those two intersecting, I think it's more apparent now and we're feeling the implication of all of the systemic racism that has been going on and that has founded this country. And so that cumulative effect of the racism on our physical and mental health is, is what we're seeing. You know, we've been given that message that, that our lives don't matter. Um, you know, thinking of just people in the news, you know, Breonna Taylor, 
still no arrest made in that case yet. Um, and not sure if it even will happen. I mean, that message is consistently given to us. And then we have to get up the next morning and go to work and, you know, and read comments on social media and look at stories on the news and, you know, listen to our president. I mean, we're constantly being given that message that we're not important, that we don't matter, but we're still expected to function and be contributing members of this society. How do you do that? How do you turn it off? Yeah, that's, that's an incredible statement. How really, how, how do you turn it off? Because at every, at every, at every touch point for, for many black folk at every touch point of your life, you're, you're brushing up against systems of of oppression that are reminding you of your your lack of worth and reminding you of how you have to see yourself sometimes or view yourself in light of the other in light of kind of the dominant culture and Mm -hmm. there has to be some sort of a physiological emotional response to that to that daily trauma is that accurate what I'm saying or or what yeah yeah it really is it 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 really does take a toll on us I mean we're exhausted it's the typical day you know and I'm sure yours is similar but in a typical day you know there's the code switching you know and you're you're trying to show that you belong in these spaces that were not created for you you're dealing with that you know the exposure to the news and what's going on and trying to temper your your anger or indignation or whatever you're feeling trying to temper that so you can continue to function trying not to um, come across as an angry black woman is something that I'm always trying to do every day because no matter um, what I do, if I'm expressing my feelings, you know, I'm easily dismissed as that angry black woman. Wow. So what is the, and you're going to have to, it's okay to talk to me like, like, like I'm a second grader. So don't, don't think uh, you're being <laughs> condescending with, you know, with the next, the next question, man, talk to me like I'm a second grader. What you okay. know, pe- People here, you know, I, I mentioned you know the, the the specialty that that you have is in dealing with with trauma and and traumatic grief. Well, what 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 is what's actually the the practical definition of of trauma? What's the working definition of that that our that our listeners can can wrap their can wrap their minds wrap their minds around? Okay, um, I think a, a great definition is one by um, Bessel van der Kolk, he wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is just so accurate as far as how our body responds to trauma. And he says that trauma is specifically an event that overwhelms the central nervous system, altering the way that we process and recall memories. Trauma is not the story of something that happened back then. It's the current imprint of that pain, horror, and fear living inside of people. Um, and so when we think about trauma, that can, re- that can be anything from a car accident to, you know, a person who has survived domestic violence or sexual assault, 
uh, to military combat trauma. Um, we often hear about military when we hear about trauma or, or PTSD, but even just being Black in America and dealing with systemic racism, that certainly fits the criteria. In terms of in terms of 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 just of understanding trauma, one of the things uh, that one of the words that you used in in in, in presenting a definition, well, one of the phrases you used is 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 that it's a a a current imprint of an experience, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that really kind of that really resonated with it really resonated with me. And I want to kind of go 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 deeper into into that. You know, I grew up in law in, in in Los Angeles in um, in the area of LA. They call South Central LA, and um, mm -hmm. and and it was a a difficult neighborhood to to say the least. And uh, and recently, I had uh, had a meal with uh, with uh, a friend who we had gone to junior high school together. And we were just reminiscing on what life was like growing up in South Central LA, and and we and I was telling him how I remembered every day that when we got out of junior high school and had to walk the one mile home, that we had to be concerned about which direction we were going to travel because if we went north, we might run into Gang A. If we went south to get home, we might run into Gang B. And if we went the shortest way home, we might get stopped by LAPD. And either one of those three scenarios, it could mean anything from just kind of getting your ass kicked to, mm -hmm. you know, being tossed in the back of a police car and dropped off at 77th Street Division of LAPD. And and my friend Clarence said to me, he's like, Lindell, do you realize what you are describing is is a form of PTSD? And at like 60 years old, I'd never thought that the imprint of those experiences that I had as as a boy growing up in LA could have could have been could have been considered trauma in my life is, is that the kind of thing yeah. that you're talking about there absolutely you know i think we think about direct exposure but you can witness um, a traumatic event and it has the same effect on you and so that's why it's so important sometimes to limit our exposure to the things we see on social media you know all of these deaths um, of, of black men and women and, and other people of color at the hands of the police. These videos are out there and, and I'm very careful to not watch them because I know what's in it. It's enough for me to know what happened and not to watch it because that can lead to PTSD as well, especially with the things that I hear in my day-to-day -day working with the clients that I see. I, I could absolutely develop PTSD just from their traumas. Wow. Especially the details, because we get that that imagery in our heads of um, what we the picture we paint in our head of what happened when you hear about an event. And then if you actually see it yourself, it's there. It's ingrained in you. And so that's why, you know, first responders, um, um, those frontline workers are, are such at risk because they they see these things. Well, based upon what you're saying, 
to me as I'm as I'm understanding it. And if I'm missing the boat, man, please jump in and tell me. Is there is there a possibility or a probability that the kind of trauma that um, a, a pregnant mom experienced early in her, earlier in her life or trauma that she witnessed, is it possible that that trauma could affect her mental health during the pregnancy? I mean, what's your thought about that from a clinical perspective? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, so many of the, the people that I see in my practice are women of color and they have multiple incidents in common. You know, they may come in for the most, the one that's presenting itself at the time, you know, they were recently assaulted or, or something happened recently. But when we do the history, you know, there's a long history of trauma that's leading to this problem. Um, I, I used to work in a military setting, and I was the subject matter expert on military sexual trauma. And so I would work with these women who had been women and men actually who had been sexually assaulted, and the ones that I, that needed help more that didn't bounce back because the, the average person is resilient. You know, we experience something and we bounce back, particularly if it's a one-time incident. More than likely, you're going to bounce back. But the ones that I saw were the ones that had trauma long before the incident that happened or the sexual assault that happened while they were in the military. They had trauma stemming from childhood all the way up, you know, and that could certainly include exactly what you said, you know, living in a place where, uh, you know, you're seeing violence, you're exposed to violence, you're trying to avoid it at the hands of gang activity or police, whatever that may be. And then you have others that are witnessing it uh, in their homes, you know, witnessing domestic violence. Um, yeah, definitely. It, and it absolutely could affect moms um, during their pregnancy, for sure. We're about to go to break. Listen to this very brief word from one of our sponsors and stay with us. We'll be back momentarily with the Gap podcast series. The mission of the Grapevine Chamber of Commerce is to promote, nurture, and support local grapevine businesses. Since 1952, the Grapevine Chamber has taken an active interest in their members' success by creating a business-friendly environment, facilitating a plethora of networking opportunities, and by connecting members in need of goods and services with members who offer those goods and services. Visit our website at grapevinechamber.org and become a part of the Grapevine Chamber family today. My name is Kaya and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Welcome back. You're listening to the Gap Podcast Series. Wow. That whole idea of just soldiering on, pressing on. I was, um, I, I did a, um, 
uh, I wrote uh, an, an an article, and this was many many years ago when I was when I was still writing for um, for publications. But I, I I was asked to interview some female female soldiers that uh, that had uh, had gone to um, to Iraq and fought in in um, in one of the in one of the Gulf Wars, I think Gulf War Two, and um, and the thing, and I went to Hartford to interview inter- interview this this woman, black woman, in her twenties. She'd been uh, uh, she'd been in the in 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 the reserves and National Guard. She got called up and you know ended up you know going to you know going to Iraq and um, and she and this may be an extreme example. I don't know. I'll let I'll let you uh, I'll let you make the call. But she had been um, in a in a Humvee that had been hit by an improvised explosive device and I an IED, and mm-hmm. she survived. But the 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 members of the platoon that were with her did not, and uh, and and she had come back stateside, you know, and and she had actually re- returned to work, and and I just. You know, so we kind of got into kind of what it was like being back in the world and returning to work. The thing that she said to me that I remember even to this day is that she says, "You know, Lindell, I don't, I don't sleep anymore because," or she said, "It's very difficult for me to sleep because mm-hmm. whenever I sleep, whenever I close my eyes, you have no idea what I see," and mm-hmm. that has kind of attached itself to me in my memory of that interview with her is is mm-hmm. sometimes a and we know a lack of, and you know this from a clinical perspective or you can speak to it lack of sleeping is like the jumping off point for a whole bunch of other bad things that could happen to your health but is lack yeah. of sleeping somehow connected to this issue of mental of, of mental health this issue of 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 not dealing with trauma I, I definitely would agree. You know, it's funny you say that, that, that she say, says that because that's exactly what I was talking about with that imagery that's there. And so, you know, she's probably re-experiencing that in the form of nightmares and just these intrusive thoughts that keep coming up for her that make sleeping and probably just even functioning during the day uh, incredibly uh, challenging. And so, as we know, like you said, sleep and lack of sleep um, contribute to to many other other problems physical and emotionally and so i i would absolutely agree that 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 you're right about that with what you just said about sleep so if so if that's something could that be perhaps then like a a a trigger that you know that maybe you as an individual need to to maybe see someone professionally. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm glad you said that because it, PTSD is treatable. You know, I, I work with people all the time and while they may initially come to me and they meet the criteria for um, PTSD, 
with treatment, it is possible to no longer meet that criteria. So it, it doesn't mean that you forget what happened. Not at all, you know. But, you know, always when I when I talk to my clients, when I initially meet them, I always give the example of, you know, I ask them if they've gone through any surgeries before. And they'll say, yeah, I had my, my gallbladder removed. And I said, okay, so when you first had that to happen and um, if someone touched it or if you hit yourself, then it would hurt, right? And they would say, definitely. But then over time, as it healed, you know, you probably didn't notice it as much. You know, there may be a scar, but you really didn't notice it. But if you hit it in the right the right place, it will it will hurt again, but not every day. And so you can improve. And, you know, you do still have to live with that trauma. And there can be things that are triggering, but what this young lady described, it doesn't have to be like that, especially at that imagery. That is trauma work really helps with that because the mind and the body obviously are, are connected. And so if you can do something about uh, reducing the effect of that, that imagery that that person is experiencing, then they will get relief in other ways um, from some of the symptoms that they're, they're feeling. Mm. So, from your experience, uh, you have, like me, been black for your entire life. I know I have. And I have. It, and <laughs> and I, what is this, what is this, this, this reticence? And perhaps that's not even strong enough, a strong enough word to describe this, but we'll, we'll go with reticence. What is this reticence that, somehow exists as a myth in the black community that that there's some weakness some defective character attached to people that want to go get mental health issues that you should just be able to just deal with that i i've Mm -hmm. i've I've seen that you know as a as a prevailing attitude for most of my life the the dismissiveness Mm -hmm of mental health as a legitimate health concern for a lot of black folk. What are your thoughts about Mm -hmm. that? Oh, I have so, so, so many. I will say that I have noticed that there's a shift, you know, and as each generation comes up, I do believe that there's a shift and there's less stigma attached to seeking help for mental health. Uh, mental health care. But I mean, when you think about it, and this is just during my lifetime, you know, there's always been a stigma attached, you know, kids that had, you know, the problems in school were on a different bus, you know, they were on the short yellow bus, they were in a special class, they were segregated from the rest of us. I mean, there's always been so much stigma, and we enforce a lot of that in so many ways. So of course, people don't want to go out and seek mental health care, because they don't want to be labeled as crazy, you know, air quotes there. Um, so I think that's a, a, a really big part of it. And I, I, I sort of think that that stems from just our history of our lives not being our own. Um, you know, we were taught early on that you, you don't talk about the family business, you keep things inside and um, inside the home and you don't share that with other people. And so we're more, we're less reluctant to share when things are not okay and when we're having problems. And then another thing that I think it can contribute to the issue is, is our faith. You know, we have always really relied on our faith to help us through. And somehow the message 
whether it's direct or indirect, is that if you're seeking help from a mental health professional, then your faith is not strong enough because um, you're, you're not you're not praying hard enough if you're, if God is not healing you. But we don't put that same stigma on getting help for a physical problem. So I think those are, are a few of the things. I, I have lots of thoughts about that. Um, I think the other thing that, that, I, that we should talk about is not feeling understood um, when you go to, to seek help. You know, you don't often see people of color um, in the mental health field. I think we're seeing an increase in that, but usually that wasn't something that you saw. When you look at TV, you see people like, you know, Bob Newhart, uh, Frazier, those people. No one really that looks like us. You know, I saw a meme the other day and it said, um, what did it say? It says, I... I need a black therapist because when I say that mm, had me swole, I need them to understand what that means. I don't have time <laughs> to explain that. And I love that. I love that. You know, and it, it really is the truth because sometimes it's just too much to explain. There's just certain things about our culture that's just kind of understood. And when you're dealing with any type of mental health issue, you don't, you don't need to walk someone through all of that. And explain what's going on. I, I even had uh, someone that came to me after seeing someone else, and, and she told me that her previous therapist would always tell her, um, "Okay, calm down. You're you're you're, be, you're being aggressive." When she's just passionately talking about what she was going through. So, I think all of those things are, are reasons why um, we don't seek mental health care, mm-hmm. and we have to change that. We have to reduce that stigma for sure. Well, man, Kiva, thank you so much for spending the hour with um, with me and with our listeners here on the Gap Podcast series. I mean, you've, absolutely, you've you've just been absolutely extraordinary, and I have uh, I have loved this hour with you. So, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All righty, you are listening to the Gap Podcast series. Thank you for listening. The Gap Podcast Series is produced by Limeville Entertainment in association with Sagasse Media Group. Also, be sure to visit us online at 365plusone.org. That's 365plusone.org.